This morning's reading is from the book of Mark, chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning again. I am glad you're here as we approach this fourth out of five confrontations uh, that took place on one Tuesday, one day now. These all took place on one day in the life of Jesus in the temple, the Tuesday before his death. Talk about a busy day for Jesus. Uh, He's in one after the next. These confrontations, uh, great debates all taking place in one day. That is a busy day. But Jesus, he's all in. He is all in. He is headed for the cross, and he's saying some of his most challenging things even in his final days. What does he have to lose? He's got nothing to lose. He is closing in on his, what he's come to do on earth. He's in his final few days. He's taking the challenges one after another. And responding with just brilliant, um, you might even say the uh, paradigm shifting, just life-altering truths of the kingdom of God in his answers. Remember, what is the baptism of John? Did it come from heaven or man? Uh, another one, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and render to God the things that are God's. And last Sunday, he said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the living challenging their doubt of the resurrection. And this Sunday, the question that's going to lead us in to Jesus' words this morning, the question is this, what do you love? What do you love? Maybe who you could put in there. What or who do you love? It's Valentine's Day this week. Do you remember? I hope some of you, I hope so. There is no shortage, there's going to be no shortage of talk about love this week and love cards and uh, love gifts and taking your love out on a date. But what do you love? What do you love? It's one of the most important questions you can ask yourself at any time, actually. Any time. Because what you love drives your life, actually, we're going to talk about today. 
your decisions, your actions. And what you love supremely is the thing you worship because you value it. That's what worship means. Worship means ascribing worth to something, ascribing value or worth to something. And God has wired the human heart, did you know that, to worship. We're wired that way. You have a heart that is bent on worshiping. We're wired that way. We worship what we love, and we love what we worship. And it can be a multitude of things in our life, from your looks to your health to your car to your reputation to your brains to another person. It could be any of those things. Jesus is going to talk a lot today about love. God's providence it just happens to come in Valentine's week. He's going to talk a lot about it. But it's a kind of love that's even deeper and richer of the romantic love of Valentine's Day. And actually, it's going to be more challenging and more costly, but richer. It's a responsibility to love, not just a response to feelings we're going to talk about. So let's take a look today at Jesus' teaching on love We're going to look at a question and then three principles of love that are going to really uh, search our hearts and ask us and show us to see, show us what a citizen of the kingdom looks like. So you've got your outline there. We provide that with some fill-ins. Keep your Bible open to Mark 12 as we're going to unpack this idea of love. The first thing we're going to look at is this, what the scribe does. The scribe asks Jesus for a summary statement of the godly life. That's what he comes to do. That's the question. That is the question that he brings to him. He's asking for a summary statement of the godly life. Now, this scribe, this guy, this man, remember, they've been circling and swarming around Jesus. He's in the temple. They've been all around him. He would have been associated with, probably with the Pharisees, uh, I mean, a, a religious lawyer type is who we're looking at here. He's been listening to Jesus discuss with the Sadducees. We talked about last week. And he asks this really unique question. A question that's still intended to trap Jesus. He poses a hard question. It's still intended to trap him, but I think this man is he's a bit more sincere than anybody else who's come to him on this day. As we'll see, he loved Jesus' answer to the Sadducees. He thought it was wise, and we're going to see his response later. But the question is this, which is the most important commandment of all? Jesus, what's the most important commandment of all? What a question. What a challenging question. Not only is it difficult, because at this time the Pharisees had discerned 613 rules out of the Old Testament. There's a lot for Jesus to choose from. It's pretty easy to get it wrong. A lot there. And they spent their lives uh, uh, classifying and categorizing these laws. So which one, Jesus? Choose one, Jesus. Well, what's going to wrap it all up for us? But it's also difficult because it implies for this man, it implies that he's kind of compartmentalizing his life. What's the most important, Jesus? He's compartmentalizing his life. Jesus, show me where I should really focus on obedience. What's really important? Chop it up for me. Boil it down. Summarize it for me. But don't we struggle too with a same kind of compartmentalizing of our Christian life? 
Maybe your Christian life, maybe it's a Sunday life or, 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 or a devotional life you have on your own. And I'll give God that, but, but does God really care what I do with the rest of my life, the rest of my week as I chop it up into little bits and pieces? Does he care what I post to Facebook? Does he care about the thoughts I have? Does he care about the words that come from my mouth? Does he care about how fast I drive? Does he care about who I love? Does he care about how much TV I watch or what I watch? Does he care about my attitude? Does he care about my addiction? Does he care about my temper? That's how we can compartmentalize and chop it up in little pieces. We struggle with that too. Jesus, what do you really want? It can't be everything. Can it? Jesus, what's the most important commandment? Tell me so I can get on with my life. You know? The scribe's like, come on. What is it, Jesus? And Jesus, he blows them all away with a two-part answer. It's so incredible. Verse 34 ends with, and after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. They were done. We are done with Jesus. Five shots, all right, whatever, four shots, trying to trip him, trip him up. We're done. He's too good. Jesus takes them to what you call an orthodox, the Old Testament Straight from the law answer for this man. He takes him right there. We're summarizing it this way. It's our first principle on love, the most important one. It is everything begins with and flows from a love for God. Everything begins with and flows from a love for God. Look at uh, verse 29 and 30 with me again today. And Jesus answered, the most important is Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. Jesus' words here in this first commandment, they're directly from the book of Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 6. Uh, verses 4 and 5 there that uh, the Jews would have called the Shema. I think it's how you say it. The Shema. It would have been like their Apostles' Creed, their Lord's Prayer. It would have been like the thing they said. And Shema really means, it means listen up. It means pay attention, listen to this. In Deuteronomy, Moses gathers the people together. They come together. He gathers them in he, to renew the covenant, to hear God's words, to speak together with one voice, uh, f- back to the law. And he speaks this one great commandment, Moses does, to God's people. These are the words Jesus is using. They are the heart of the Old Testament. They're the heart of, of, of Judaism. And they recited it daily, this Shema, this hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love him with all of yourself. Every day they would have said it. They repeated it. Because it was the heart of who they were. And actually, though, the words of the heart, too, of the Christian, of what it means to be a Christian, of the Christian faith. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one, is how they would have said it. It's the heart of being a Christian, too. It's the call to love God exclusively. It's not only the heart of Judaism, the heart of Moses and his people in Deuteronomy. It's the heart of Christianity, to love God exclusively and really supremely, another way to put it. Well, why is that the case, though? 
Why should we love God exclusively? The simple answer is, He's the only one. He's the only one. There, there, there is no other. This is a specific God. This is Yahweh, as Moses would have said it, and as we say, Lord. This is, this is Yahweh, the God who made a covenant with his people. He is the one. This isn't just a concept of God uh, or one of many ways to express God or a, a generic concept of God that we just give a name to. No, this is Yahweh. This is God. This is the only one, the only personal God. And he's one in essence, too, and in his uniqueness. And so exclusive worship of this God is the only acceptable response in your life. He is the one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. That's why. There's no other God. There's a lot of stories. There's a lot of religions. There's a lot of all kinds of lowercase g gods. Moses' people in, in Deuteronomy and up into Jesus' day, they would have had no qualms about this. One God. No other God. So there's, there's no other supreme being to devote yourself to. You don't have to go looking anymore. He's here. He's revealed himself. And we should love him because of that, but not only that, but because of who he is. Who is this God? He's gracious, just, kind, merciful. As, as he went on in Exodus 34 to, to explain his name, it's one of the great places in the Bible where we get to see who God is, the Lord, the Lord of God. Merciful and gracious. He's still slow to anger. He still is abounding in steadfast love. He's still faithful keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's who this one God is. He's the same today. That's why. So God asks for exclusive love because he's one and because of who he is. You may hear that and think, but that sounds, you know, it sounds a bit arrogant or conceited of God, you know, to like, to hoard all that. I'm one, you know, no other. I mean, on a personal human, human level, we would say, of course that is. If, I, if one of us was like, I'm, I'm most important. We know that. It sounds a bit that way, but not with God. God knows that, that life, your life, my life, now day-to-day -day living now, real-life stuff, is only ever properly in its place, properly ordered, properly put in its place when God is at the center. God knows that. It's good for him to say that to us. Because when the human heart is focused on him as your greatest source of life, as your greatest source of, of love, that's when it's properly ordered. And when you love God as the only... Uh, unique God. It shapes your life. It shapes your loves. It shapes your likes. It shapes your dislikes when he's at the center. That's why it matters. That's why it's actually gracious of God to say, as he did through Moses, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. He is exclusive. 
It shapes everything in your life. The church father, Augustine, did probably some of the greatest work on this in the history of the church that we don't even realize how impacted we are uh, by some of those guys, some of your views on just even the world. Uh, actually, everybody inside the church, outside the church, have been shaped by Augustine. He did a great work helping us see Jesus' point here. He was, he was a bishop in northern Africa in the 300s, so long time ago, way gone from the scene. And Augustine wanted to find out, and you think, that's so old. What could he possibly have to do with us today? Here's what he wanted to find out. Why are so many humans unhappy and discontent? <laughs> Is that relevant still today? Yeah. I mean, well, they were still humans there. They had the same, I mean, different time, place, but I mean, come on, they were still people. They still struggled. And so Augustine looked around his world, and he's like, why are so many people unhappy and discontent? Wouldn't you like to know? Would you like to? I had one person. That's great. Sure, we had a one. All right. All right, Gene. Gene. So, <laughs> I mean, why are we so easily discontent or grumbly or complaining or bitter? It's a long quote, but it's worth our time. And the quotes inside the quote are Augustine. The functional cause of our discontent, why we're unhappy is that our loves are, to quote Augustine, they're out of order. Augustine taught we're most fundamentally shaped not as much by what we believe or think, it's not less than that, or even do, but by what you love. What do you love? There's the question. Here's Augustine. For when we ask whether somebody's a good person, we're not asking what he believes or hopes for, but what he loves. For Augustine, what we call human virtues are nothing more than forms of love. So courage, then, is loving your neighbor's well-being more than your safety. It's a love. Honesty is loving your neighbor's interests on your own, even when the truth will put you at disadvantage. It's a love of something. And because Jesus himself said that all God's law comes down to loving God and your neighbor, Augustine believed that all sin was ultimately a lack of love. A lack of love. The phrase is what? We are what we eat. Have you heard that one? We are what we eat. It's actually, as the title of a recent book I saw, we are what we love. We are what we love. So God says, keep me at the center. That's why he says it of your life. Love me supremely because I, I'm supreme, and things won't get so out of whack in your life. It's gracious of him, isn't it? It's not arrogant. And so it means that every problem we have, every sin we commit, is really a problem of love. It's disordered loves. They get out of whack. God moves out of the center and something else moves in. Whenever I love something out of order, what does it look like? Whenever I love something out of order, take a, you could take a, a spouse, a romantic love. Uh, secular love would tell me, tell us, to love the person we love the most, to love them more than anything else. Every pop song today, love this person more than anything else. And it sounds good on the surface, of course. But if I love her more than God, you love that person more than God, they 
I'm an idol to you. And I also put too much pressure on that person. I'm asking her to fulfill for me something in my heart that only God can do. It's a disordered love. And the irony is, you're actually loving that person. I'm actually loving her and anything else in my life better and more by loving God first and foremost. That's the irony about it. It's counterintuitive. What do we do? We often love less important things in life, not just people, things, than more important things. And more important things, we love less than less important things. We get them all mixed up. We disorder loves in our life. That's what Jesus is getting at here. And when we do that, of course, as Augustine was trying to answer the question, of course we're prone to unhappiness, to, 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 to bitterness, to, to grumbling because those lesser loves, they won't deliver what we actually want them to. So of course. So God knows. He says, love me exclusively and most, and that is the greatest commandment, Jesus says. Because it puts life in order. It puts your heart in order. It puts your loves in the right place and actually lets you love better. Not only that, it's because of God, how God loves us that we're called to love God, not just exclusively, but with our whole self. Our whole self, Jesus gets it. We have a personal God, so this, this one God, Yahweh, personal God who loves us and has loved us wholly, not holy, H-O-L-I, but wholly, all, all of us. Every part of us, you might say. Here's a great example of that love. 1 John 4, a few verses. In this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. It's a payment, a payment of sorts for God's wrath, for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We love because he first loved us and all of us, our whole self. God has loved us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying here. John is, is recording. In the work of Jesus, and he, he's redeemed and saved us, body, soul, heart, spirit, all of who we are. Not just a fraction of you. Not just a part of you. We talked about it a couple weeks ago in the resurrection. Not just your soul, your body too. He has saved not just a portion, but all of us, all of myself. And so then he asks for all of myself because he's redeemed all of yourself. Jesus says that the love for God should be an all-self love. We don't love so he will love us. As the verses say, we love because he's saved us. And he says, Jesus in his words here, he says the word all there four times. Did you catch it? He says, love him with all, with all, with all, with all. Love with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, he says. It's a way to say to love God with your whole self. 
And he's talking when he says all, 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 all. He's talking about love as a, a way of being, a way of just living, a way of being, not just an emotional experience or an emotion itself. This is a way of being, basically. He's talking about a few things. The heart, real quickly, the heart. It's like the causal core. It's what drives us. It's what directs you. It's, it's what forms and it really your loves and drives you. The causal core of who we are, the internal self. The soul or the spirit, the, the, the kind of the self-conscious life that we have. The mind. We are to engage our minds. It's part of us, too, to love God with. And our strength, our, our, our efforts, our action. He's really defining. Do you know what he's defining, Jesus, there? He's defining discipleship. Our church mission is helping people follow Jesus. We want to make disciples who will make disciples, be part of making disciples. He's, Jesus is defining for us here discipleship. When he says this, love God with all, 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 all. What it means to be a disciple. Our whole self. Our whole self. Uh, I like what this one guy says. He, it's from his book, You Are What You Love. He says this then. If that's what Jesus is saying with all this, all this, all love with yourself, he's saying discipleship is more a matter than of, of hungering, uh, of thirsting, than of knowing and believing. It's not less than that. He's not saying it's less than that. Jesus says all your mind, we're saved through faith alone. But as a going as a disciple, even the demons believe, don't they? It's got to impact more. Let's go on. He says, Jesus' commands to follow him. It's a command to align our loves, align our longings with his, to want what God wants, to desire what God desires, to hunger and thirst after God and crave a world where he is all in all. It's a vision encapsulated by the shorthand Jesus uses in our passage, the kingdom of God. Jesus is a teacher who doesn't just inform our intellect, but forms our very loves. What do you love? He isn't content to simply deposit ideas into your mind. He's after nothing less than your wants, your loves, your longings. That's discipleship. You are what you love. What do you love? He doesn't just want our mind. In the evangelical church, we have done that a little bit too much. We have left discipleship too much in the head. Again, it's not less than that. Our beliefs matter. They drive our behavior even at times. It's not less, though, than being transformed by our minds. He wants to shape our very loves. He wants to shape your desires. He wants your whole self. Like I said, the demons believe in their minds. But they're definitely not shaped by it, are they? Their whole self, their heart is not captured. Their longings and desires aren't to please God. Our whole self. And the danger is if you and I, if we live in that, um, that compartmentalized world of, this, of the scribe, you know, maybe it's Jesus Sunday or the other parts of your life or maybe it's just a personal dis- uh, private time, quiet time you have, but, but your work, your home, your hobbies, you straddle the fence on all of those. You can't touch this, Jesus. I'll give you that, but this one is mine. You will be, you and I will be miserable uh, spiritual schizophrenics. We will. If we try to straddle those fences with him, 
and live in that compartmentalized world that the scribe was trying to figure out. What's the most important, Jesus? Let me get off my life. With God, it's all or nothing. That's what Jesus is saying. It's all or nothing. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He just asks for one command. Do you love how you always get a bonus with Jesus? He always gives you more than you've asked for, doesn't he? And so he doesn't just give him one command. You get bonus prizes with Jesus. Uh, That love for God isn't just me and Jesus. It expresses itself always. Let me say it again. Always. Let me say it again. Always expresses itself in a community of others. Always. Let me say it again. Always. It expresses itself in a community of others. Here's our third, second principle on love, third point this morning. You cannot love God in isolation, but only as you love others. He wasn't asking for this, but he got it. The bonus prize. You cannot love God in isolation, but only as you love others. Jesus gives them the second commandment. With this one, he's also quoting right from, right from their stuff, right from their uh, law, right from Leviticus 19.18, he quotes. Let's, let's hear Jesus' words again from verse 31. The second, the bonus prize is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. I think it's Matthew. It goes on Jesus to say there that he's summarizing the entirety of the law in these two commandments right here. He's summing it all up. He does it for him. He gives him what he wants. He sums it all up. Love God and love others. We can make it really simple. Love God and love others. All the law, he says, hangs on these two. And in fact, it's actually a summary of the Ten Commandments. Did you know that? There's ten of them, right? Ten? Yeah, ten. Ten of them. It's a summary of them. Love God. I think it's the first four are, are, are vertical. Have no other gods before me. Honor the, uh, honor the Sabbath. All those things. They're, they're vertical. The second six are horizontal. Love of neighbor. So Jesus takes the entirety of the law and sums up that these two have to go together. They're inextricably linked. Love God. Love others. And how you respond to the call to love God first will inevitably lead you to how you respond to love of neighbor. And if you obey the second, the love of neighbor, it shows the fruit of the the first, the very first one, the law and love. They go hand in hand. A lawful, obedient life is a loving life. And if you want to have a loving life, the law is what actually shows you what a loving life looks like. Love God and love others. The law of God and love, they never contradict. They will never contradict. We've all been there, though. You've heard it. We, we, our heart tells us one thing. I know God says this, but this looks good. This feels good. We do that. We all play that game. But the law of God and the love of God will never contradict. It also means this. You don't just avoid disobedience by avoiding the thou shall not. But you also have to positively live the law of love. 
You don't just avoid disobedience by avoiding the thou shall not. You have to positively live the law of love. Let's unpack it a bit, because that's like, what? What do you mean? What does that mean? Here's the positive side of the negative. So here on the left, it's the negative. It's spoken in the negative. Do not. Don't. Okay? So the law says don't commit adultery. But do you think that means, you know, hey, uh, you know, I've been a really good spouse. We don't spend any time together. I don't talk, but I haven't committed adultery. No. The positive side of that negative law means be a loving spouse. That's the positive side of it. So you don't get to be, uh, keep the law by just not committing adultery. Of course, the positive side of it is be a loving spouse. Okay, well, let's try the next one. Don't kill. Hey, I, I, I'm a good person. I haven't, I haven't murdered, right? No, the positive side of that don't kill is be a loving neighbor. Be a loving neighbor. So it's not just, you get it? It's not just avoiding the thou shalt not. There's a positive side of the law, love. Be a loving neighbor. Here's another one. Don't steal. Great. Oh, I, you know, I've been, God, I haven't, I didn't, haven't stolen anything from the store. I've been, you know, this and that. No, it's not just don't steal. The law of love is be radically generous. That's love. Well, last one, don't lie. I could not lie and be an absolutely isolated, never share a part of myself, totally closed off person. No, the positive fulfillment of that law is be honest and open. It's never just about the thou shall not. You see, it's not just about avoiding a bunch of negatives, but it's about being creative in a number, a thousand ways to love others. So how do we do it? That's the question for us. How do we do it? Well, here's how Jesus describes it. He describes it, we're going to call it a selfish love. A selfish love. What do we mean by that? Really, it's just a way to get your attention. Um, a selfish love. What does Jesus mean when he says, love your neighbor as yourself? That's where the, the, the title kind of comes from. Love your neighbor as yourself. He's not just saying for you to love yourself. We already do that a ton. But you might say, well, wait a minute, were you just talking about Augustine, Jeff, who was trying to figure out why so many people are miserable and filled with self-hate and self-loathing and low self-esteem? And how can we say Jesus assumes we love ourselves when he knows many of us don't even like ourselves? But that line of thinking is kind of a hallmark card definition of love is only a feeling. If you went there right away, you're, that's because we, we think of love as the way our culture has trained us to think of love as mostly a feeling. It's not less than that. Yes, and we do, don't we? You feel bad about yourself sometimes, don't you? You sometimes feel like low self-esteem. Even a self-hatred sometimes we have for ourselves, And a desire to change, though, that is a great love of self and a concern with self. So even in those moments of self-doubt, self-loathing, you're still wanting to get out of it, aren't you? You're still wanting to change. You're not wanting to stay there. That's self-love. That's concern, and that's a good thing, actually. Even someone's concern with their own self-hate and desire to change is that self-love. But you see, in the Bible, love is not primarily a feeling but an action. That's why we get mixed up on this. Love is primarily not a feeling, but an action, a responsibility, a duty of the Christian. It's not just a feeling. 
And we all spend, don't we, amazing amounts of creative force or energy taking care of ourselves, don't we? Providing for self. And a lot of times have a joy in doing so, and that's okay. Jesus is asking you to do the same for others. He's asking you to do the same for others, not just feel the same for others. He's asking you to to do the same for others as you have your own self-care and concern and preservation and promotion. He's saying do the same for others, not feel the same for others. It's not less than. Love shouldn't be joyless and totally emotionless. I'm not saying that on Valentine's week. It's a big difference, though. Jesus is asking you to do the same for others, not just feel the same for others. It's a big difference, actually, and it's the reason Jesus can say, love your enemies. In, in, our, in our context, that's like, what? Love your enemies. Because you can still do an act of enemy for your love, uh, an act of love for your enemy, excuse me, an act of love for your enemy, if love is more than a feeling. And it's an action. That's what Jesus means when he says, love your enemy. If love is more an action than a feeling, even if you feel distaste to your enemy, which is probably normal, you can still do an act of love. That's what that means. Love is more than a feeling. For your enemy. For your child. For your spouse. For your neighbor, for your enemy. What did Romans say? While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. While we were enemies. And there it is. It's an act of love. And when you see that, and when you cherish that, and love God most first, he's not already asking you to do anything that he hasn't already done for you in the gospel. He's already done it. But because of the gospel, you are transformed from the inside out. When you see it, when you believe it, when you realize that we were the enemy. We were the enemy he died for. When you see that, it begins to melt that cold heart we were talking about and transform us from the inside out into showing sacrificial love for others. Sacrificial love is true worship from the heart. It's true worship from uh, from the heart. The scribe agrees. He agrees, actually, as we wrap up this passage. He agrees with Jesus that it's a sacrifice from the heart. He says, teacher, you're right. Did you catch that in the reading? There? He says, teacher, you're right. God is one. We're to love him with our whole self, all our self, and, and, and love our neighbor. And in verse 33, he even says, it's more important than all whole burnt offerings or, or sacrifices. He says, I, I, I agree with you. It's more than just a sacrifice, an external thing. We just had our, our Sunday adult seminar, Ravi Zacharias, and he, he, he put it in this phrase. He said, uh, it's so much more than just that. He said, I, I'm made by God. 
I'm made for the purpose of God to express the love of God. It's so much more than just sacrifice. It's always about relationship with God first and foremost. That's what Jesus is saying. With God, through Christ, through faith, from the heart. From the heart. We, we have to hear that and understand that today. Because the scribe, he even heard and even agreed a little bit with Jesus on some level But Jesus still says to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God, which means this. You can be near the kingdom of God, but not in the kingdom of God. It's our final point this morning. You can be near. You can be near the kingdom of God like the scribe was, but not in the kingdom of God. Look at verse 34, or listen. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Jesus is pleased. He's pleased with the man's response. He even says, you're wise. You're wise. But Jesus gives us all the law in these two commandments today. And oh yes, you can get like the scribe, you can get all pumped up as he was, as the scribe did and said, I'm going to be good. Yes, I'm going to love great words, teacher. Teacher. Teacher, he said. True. But Jesus as Savior is what brings you into the kingdom. Not just teacher. Jesus as Savior is what brings you in to the kingdom. You hear these commandments of Jesus today, and one of their purposes is this purpose. is to show you that it's impossible to keep them on your own. It's one of the primary purposes of the law to show you love God with all, 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 all and neighbor as self. It's to show you. So if, you heard, if you've been hearing this so far, like, that's impossible. It's impossible. On one level, you're right. It is impossible. And that's what's to drive you to Christ. It's impossible to keep them on your own. The law shows us, shows you your need of a Savior. It shows you that you need something so radical, it's called an entire new heart. That's the purpose of the law. The law leads us to grace, leads us to Christ, leads us to a need of a Savior this morning. Not just a teacher. And then Christ leads in love back to the law for us which shows us how love acts. Law and love, they don't contradict. Even the Old Testament showed this. Take a look. Here's from Ezekiel. It's 36. I'll give you a new heart. There it is. I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. This is Old Testament now. I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Oh, the scribe, he's so close. He's so close. He's millimeters. He's inches. He realizes entering the kingdom is more a heart matter than hard work. He says it's more than sacrifices. I get it. You can't work your way in with sacrifices. You can't work your way in with being good, but you also need a new heart, a new you. 
a new Savior, a, a new center of your life, the love of God. So it means this. Entering the kingdom is not just approving of the teaching of Jesus. He did it. Entering the kingdom doesn't just mean growing up in church or being part of a family that went to church or even attending church. Entering the kingdom doesn't mean just having right theology. Hear that. Entering the kingdom doesn't mean just having right theology. Entering the kingdom doesn't mean having those that know you best say, oh yeah, she's a Christian. Or he's a Christian. It also means you can come within inches of the kingdom with any of these and not be in. Entering the kingdom is only through being born again, through faith in Jesus, a new heart. You're right. I can't love God with all, 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 all in my neighbors and myself unless he gives it to me through faith. Are you within inches? Are you within inches? Or are you in? If you're not sure today, and you hear me saying these words, I, I, I don't know. I mean, am I within inches or am I in? You can know today. You need to express it to him through faith. Some words coming up on the screen. The prayer is not magic in and of itself. You saw the Ezekiel passage. He has to give you a new heart. But he does expect us to respond. As Jesus was really clear today. All of you he wants. If you're sitting there today going, I, I'm not sure. I may be within inches. If you can express something like this from a true heart today, you can know you're in. It might sound something like this. As I said, the words aren't magic in of themselves, but if you can say this from a heart today, God, I realize today that I am close, but not in your kingdom. I realize that I, you need to do something to me and for me in Jesus Christ. I realize I cannot work my way into your kingdom, but that I need a new heart, a new center, a new ultimate love. You. I realize that I do not love the way you've asked and I've not perfectly kept your laws, but Jesus has. And Jesus has paid for my law-breaking too. Give me this new heart, God, through faith and make me enter the kingdom. If you can express that today from a heart of sincerity, you are in. You are in. And you may be like that scribe today, an inch away. Because of whatever you think, your church attendance, your theology, because everybody else thinks you're a Christian. Jesus knows and he says, you're close. You're wise and you're close. This is it. This is it. Love God with all your heart because he's given you a new heart. If that's, you're kind of there today. Talk to me today. Like, I kind of think I'm close and I think maybe... Let's talk. Don't keep that a secret. This is the place to talk about it. This is the place to go. Even if you've professed long-time faith, this is the place to do that and say, you know what? It's been, I, I think I've been close for a long time and I want to be in. Let's pray. Lord, you give us challenging words in Scripture. You have been challenging us pretty heavily these last few weeks and Jesus has nothing to lose at the end of his life here. God, we need to be transformed by you. Lord, we want to have lives that are centered on you, 
love of you first and foremost. We want to have lives that outflow in love to others, God, and we know we can only do that by your power. So, Spirit, do that for us. Shape our loves, not just our beliefs. Let us see that you want all of us. Discipleship is so much more. Oh, but what a joy. What a joy to know that you're in the kingdom, secure in the Savior because of what he has done. Lord, give new faith today, even I ask. As Ezekiel promised, he wrote, give a new heart today to us, heart of stone. And Lord, let the love of God ring out from this church up vertically and horizontally to each other as the two go hand in hand. In Christ's name we pray, amen.